For riffs. It's getting for riffs back again with the pain, bringing the pain. Brand new season, right? Brand new season, season uh, f- two. All right, season two. Dos. Who would have thunk? Slide who would have thunk four. that? Yeah, really. I mean, of course, we haven't really changed anything, but it feels a little bit like a new season. But it feels uh, a bit fresh, I must say. It's a bit, yeah. um, you know, like. Uh, uh, winter's coming, maybe. <laughs> Outdated <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> quote. I, th- I thought about that yesterday, how old Game of Thrones as a reference has become. You yeah, know, it's it, now on the level with, I don't know, uh, with the West Wing or something. Mm. Like it's, it's completely um, obsolete at, at this moment. It used to be the, the cool new kid in town, you know, <laughs> or in school, <laughs> but it, it really died fast and... I don't know why I said that, but I mean, winter is coming every year, so yeah, <laughs> we're gonna continue saying it. I yeah. guess. How, how is the- it? Nah, I don't know it. <laughs> I, like I used to play the riff for a while. I like the shug that started there. Yeah. Uh, no, but um, it's an interesting um, uh, intro because it goes from minor to major in such a clever way. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I think I can't stand to hear it, so let's not play it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to play that. But I, I did ask you, I think, ways back, I think in the beginning of planning Game for Riffs, if we could do possibly like a, a movie riff special at some point. Yeah, that doesn't course. have to include this particular riff, but I, I, I like this composer actually. I mean, he's, he has that kind of blockbuster, wide sound in his melodies, but it reminds me of like Cordia Kondo and similar stuff in, in like these mm. heroic themes that he can procure. And yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. I'm sure he played a lot of SNES as a kid. I think <laughs> it's about our, our, our age, is this Indian um, descent um, American dude in California. Mm. Mm. Anyway, that's not today's topic, not really. So fresh season, and I mean, it it is winter here, but it's this kind of super depressive Stockholm winter at the moment. I haven't seen the sun in weeks. I think there there was two sunny days that we really tried to celebrate, you know, (laughs) like keep your mood up because it's going to go down. And it's been super like a wet sock. That's the weather. Wet sock. Oh, yeah. Uh, Here is pretty good. Uh, I... uh, had a few busy weeks here doing some projects, but I also we also managed to get a new house, which is fantastic. It's really oh, cool. like uh, congratulations. Yeah, um, I just <laughs> been scanning in documents to send to the house owner uh, to prove that we can pay the rent and so on. Hope that will stand. Mm. Yeah, uh, when they look through it, and then hopefully we can move in and start uh, renovating a bit uh, with uh, our limited riff budget you know uh, but still we have to make it nice it's awesome and, and so it's it is in netherlands and as i've gathered from uh, talking with you in this format uh, do you get a floor or not <laughs> is it a floor uh, in, this, in this house no no there is no floor you have to put in the floor yourself uh, it's 
<laughs> but it's double glass window, which is fantastic for uh, okay. Amsterdam. Right. And it's much bigger than uh, our old house. So, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be good. So you have prospects of surviving this winter. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. That's great. That's great. Um, but hey, uh, moving on from uh, a cozy house maybe into a cozy riff. How, sure. how about that? Yeah, I'm psyched. could it be i uh, i have no instant uh, recollection of this riff but it sounded quite cozy to me it i yeah I, in my mind's eye i saw this uh, cozy bear playing the riff yeah uh, a bear well, with a I'm, telecaster <laughs> i'm not gonna keep you uh, uh keep you guessing for too long but it's on an album uh from 68 uh by a band that has like a very strong relationship with the band that we're going to do a, a small special about uh, hmm. soon. Uh, and this is not the most famous song of the album. Actually, it's, I think it's the uh, least famous. But uh, as I was uh, planning the other riff, I just came across this one. I was like, <laughs> so much fun. Uh, <laughs> but uh, right. I just play like... And I don't know which which like is the featured riff. Actually, we can talk about the other riff also because I'm gonna play it right now. Right. performed by a bear but another animal is performed by this rhino it's a rhino riffing and uh, his band would be named iron butterfly mm, yes and uh, i uh, exactly it's iron butterfly it's of their second album in a garda vida with uh, the most famous riff from 1968 uh, maybe you know at least one of the heaviest uh, in a garda vida but it's actually not written by larry Rhino Reinhardt, who would later, together with the bass player of uh, Iron Butterfly, Lee Dorman, they would start Captain Beyond. But uh, as I dove into the lore of uh, Iron Butterfly, I discovered it's this riff is written by a 17-year-old guitarist called Eric Bran, <laughs> uh, who was the first guitarist of uh, the band. Right. Um, yeah. So Iron Butterfly, a 60s band. This was their second album with uh, Doug Ingle on uh, Ingle on song uh, on song. <laughs> 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 Doug Ingle on vocals and keyboard, uh, organ, Metaltron, everything, and mm. then Eric Brand on uh, guitar, uh, Lee Dorman on bass, and uh, a drummer who 
I, I just now forget what it's called. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, super riffs uh, going on here, I think, on this album. Yeah, really, this this riff is really classic, really cool. It could uh, be in any heavy band like Black Sabbath or Danzig mm. or even Entombed, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, and uh, Slayer covered it. I think most bands have covered it in their, uh, you know, when in their rehearsal space. So I'll just play it one more time. Sure. I, I kind of, when I play it, I get a bit too excited. So I play it wrong, but yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> The little uh, tasty. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, it relies on these uh, chromatic passages. That's probably what makes it so heavy. Like um, yeah. Iomi type riffage, but no, kind but of pre Iomi, really. Yeah, yeah it's, before. it's before. I mean, it's more kind of at the same time as. Um, uh, Led Zeppelin's first album, uh, yeah, you know, but a totally different kind of sound, more the American sound, I would say. It's an American band from San Diego. Yeah. Yes. Um, I had to drink some water. I got so uh, my throat got so parched from like putting all the, the all this fire in this riff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> gotta stay hydrated. Yeah, gotta stay hydrated. Yeah. What do you know about this band? I mean, we are, I, I think going into this, I, I thought that uh, it was Rhino, indeed, uh, the main guitar player from uh, uh, Captain Beyond that uh, was always in this band. Because when you read some read lore or like hear stuff about Captain Beyond, it says like, yeah, the two uh, str- string banders, string pug- <laughs> pugilists from Iron Butterfly went on to uh, start Captain Beyond, uh, which is not necessarily true either. And we won't go there yet. We'll leave a bit of that. But I was like surprised to find out there was a 17-year-old guy, uh, much like uh, uh, our friends November, who were really young. This, uh, right. You know, like uh, kind of... Uh, I guess I have a theory about this, but what do, you th- what do you think about like starting out young, you know, playing in a band? Yeah, my immediate uh, association now was that maybe at this um, particular age, like uh, uh, not age of a person, but age in in rock music, like late sixties, maybe time time was of the essence. Like this ball is a rolling now, right? Uh, mm. Rock music is the thing, so let's would not waste any time. You know, let's try and get a guitar uh, as as decent a guitar as possible, or an organ, or you know, maybe borrow this church organ. I don't know how they how they came about the instruments, but I think they they really like they had the ability to start because it's not com- it's not super complex music, and also it was really happening, right? So I think mm. um, in like in general of starting early, I think it's usually a good thing because it, it is this hunger or drive to get going. Um, as far as as this band is concerned, I don't know too much about them. Like last week or couple of weeks back we talked a lot of there was a lot of south park references and here it would be a simpsons reference uh with like this shirt scene when um, when they start jamming this out i don't know if it's reverend lovejoy and uh maybe hans mole man on, on is there as well <laughs> jamming yeah and it's uh, this song exactly. that you can you can do 11 minute versions of it and so on but uh, yeah i'm gonna send the send the ball back to you 
Yeah, it, it is an important aspect that the song is 17 minutes. Uh, it includes several uh, organ solos and uh, a, a long drum uh, solo as well. And uh, like some ups and downs, crescendos and, uh, you know, false endings, everything, you know, it's all there. It's very long. And uh, it w- they released this as a single that was shortened to something like 2.35. Um, mm. But actually the song that really got played a lot on radio was the 17 minute, 17 plus minute version because the uh, disc jockeys, they realized, oh, if we put this on, we can go have a break. We can go to the toilet. We can drink yeah. coffee. We can do stuff. So it became a huge hit in its original runtime, which is uh, <laughs> quite unheard of. That's very cool. I, I, I remember this. We referenced him before, the Mats Rydström, uh, mm-hmm. my friend, our friend, and a, a bass player in many rock bands here in Stockholm, still to this date. And I remember he DJed. He had a club where I was a sound guy. And he had these songs too, these long songs, like this is my, my break songs. <laughs> so I, I, can, you know, I can hit the loo or, or whatever. Because he would play a lot of action rock and you know classic rock, uh, usually shorter songs. So he needed that in his arsenal just to be able to, you know, uh, have a stand-in, uh, if you will, for mm. for toilet breaks and such. Yeah, and, uh, and I f- that this song would have been maybe one of the first of this kind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's. I think that's the joke also that uh, the Simpsons make that it is like it's a kind of a trope. Everyone knows that this song is long, like. Uh, for instance, everyone knows that "Free Bird" is uh, like an excessive uh, solo song, like, and uh, that's why mm. it's such a you know popular thing to throw out uh, or or shout at concerts. Play "Free Bird," and uh, as it is with "Inagada da Vida," that it's you know it's a long song, and that's kind of funny, and that you can really uh, you know you can make uh, jokes about that, but you can you can also use it. Um, yeah. As a sort of a shorthand for what like uh, psychedelic music of the '60s and like jam music, uh, be it from uh, uh, this band or from, um, I'm thinking uh, Allman Brothers, like similar you know similar bands uh, yeah. at the time. Uh, actually, now if I remember correctly, Eric Brand, the guitarist, he was also in uh, Second Coming, a first iteration of the Allman Brothers, uh, as mm. a as a third guitar player. Uh, if I don't, <laughs> if I might not, I might might uh, uh, might have been Doug Ingle also. One of these guys played with them. Yeah. Um, so so there is all this interconnecting uh, uh, band members, and <laughs> you, if you go on Wikipedia. As we often do here is in Gated for Riffs, um, you you look at uh, former members of in a Iron Butterfly. I mean, this is all from the '60s to now, and it's like a hundred people have played with them. <laughs> and uh, but I think it's not only that they, you know they do cash-ins and stuff. I think people really want to play these songs, uh, and especially like who wouldn't want to play a you know thirty-plus minute version of Inagarda Vida? <laughs> right. <laughs> And uh, what what about their ages? That was an interesting topic. Uh, I guess you have a more more riffage on that. Oh, like, uh, them no, but starting I think out so, so young. I, I I felt that you had a good answer. I mean, it's just it's like at this point there were so many bands coming out, and you were really like 
really looking for talent wherever you could find it. I beat in uh, maybe like I can't even see like the managers going to high school, uh, yeah, like talent scouting, yeah, local talent shows. You like see who's playing and then just uh, ask them, hey, hey, can you go on a 10 month tour with Iron Butterfly? But oh, sure, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mom, I'm quitting school, I'm not going yeah. to college. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of these old, old school rockers did quit school. Like it wasn't that strange of a thing. Even up until the eighties, it was quite common that you you might drop out at fifteen, sixteen, to get the rock yep. thing going, which I guess is quite abstract by today's standards. <laughs> Definitely. Now, but I mean, it, it's also kind of if you're it, maybe it's more common now with if you're into sports, if you're right. uh, if if you come it's if you're an up and coming track uh, track and field um, <laughs> track and field guy. Anyway. It, if you're into uh, sports, you know that that's more common. You know to stop uh, going to school because you're gonna take care of this career. You have to train all the time. You don't have time to go to school. You're yeah. uh, like playing playing hockey or playing uh, football. You don't have time. So I think that's maybe more common than becoming you know uh, an artist. I mean the the first the last one I can remember you know uh, quitting school. I think that was Robin. Uh, who became so famous, super young Swedish um, uh, mm. pop star, and I think she quit school. I think she regretted it also afterwards. Uh, uh, high school, probably, yeah, quit high school. Yeah, but then I mean, yeah, uh, well, but I, I think the, you answered it. I mean, the, there was talent, you know, talent to yeah. uh, was needed, and time was of the essence. Funny little dance hop around uh, Stonehenge. I was thinking about uh, that's why I picked it. It reminds me, it re- reminded me of Stonehenge by uh, Spinal Tap. Yeah, uh, maybe a bit. Yeah, <laughs> this folky aspect, uh, pagan. The, the when the dwarves come in and <laughs> dance around yeah. the <laughs> miniature Stonehenge. Oh my god, um, kind of fun to play also. Um, but it, it is. A, I'm trying to emulate a bit the sound that they have because the next thing I wanted to talk about is the organ uh, being mm. such a super important part of uh, this wave of uh, psychedelic or like rock music in general from the 60s it was really like heavily organ laden and um, later I think I think many bands kind of stripped uh, stripped the organ from the from the lineup because it was like uh, for many reasons, I think the guitarist became better. Uh, it fe- it feels like when you listen to Iron Butterfly or maybe um, uh, Deep Purple or something like the, or Yes maybe later like the 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 best player in the band is often the keyboard or piano player because they have feels like they have a classic. I'm I'm guessing so I want your reaction. Uh, they have a classic upbringing, classic music upbringing, so they're really good at playing. Um, but for them to, you know, for, to hear them in the band, you need like a really loud Hammond B3 organ or something like this. 
And yeah. you have to you have to take that around with you on tour. It's really cumbersome and big and uh, heavy. Yeah. But um, yeah, so your your comment. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it was kind of. I think it was a necessity to be able to play keys in a band, and it's such an effective instrument as it kind of covers way more. Uh, I mean, it has the possibility, at least, of the range to cover way more than even two guitars. Like you're yeah. up at about three guitars if you have a good organ player or a keyboard player. And uh, yeah, I think obviously also with the church roots, you know, that uh, for example, oh, yeah. British bands that were singing harmony vocals, they, they learned that in, in singing in a church choir normally. Ah, yeah, so it's yeah. kind of, it was readily available, right? Uh, I think as an instrument and it's loud and it, mm. it really works for this. And I think B3 was, it's a legendary instrument today, but I don't think it was really then. I think it was kind of a throwaway instrument, you know, just something yeah. loud that you could find. I mean, not throw away in the sense that you could actually throw it because it's heavy, <laughs> but it was, I think it was readily available and, you know, just a means to an end, really, to, mm. to provide loud as keyboard rock. And yeah. Uh, obviously, yeah, I think most of these guys had some kind of formal education that they had had mm. lessons. Like it's, it's maybe guitar is more an instrument that, you know, you can be this ADHD guy, just pick it up yeah. and start, start strumming away. Whereas uh, when you play keyboards, I had a little bit of like classic piano when I studied sound. And first lesson we spent kind of like just the teacher trying to teach me to sit properly. <laughs> oh yeah. And I, I was not uh, I was not really familiar with this. Like, whoa, this is this is discipline. I have to sit. Did you ever? Did you learn how to sit properly when playing guitar? Uh, no, this was this was for playing keys. Uh, oh yeah, keys. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I did <laughs> well, like I sat properly at the, les at the lessons. At least I sat properly, but you know, not okay. really. Uh, probably not when I'm playing now. And uh, I remember I, I pretended to read uh, the score because yeah. I, I can, but I can't really read it in real time. So I pretended mm. to read it, but I had just memorized those those pieces. Yeah. So I also yeah, I never became like suffice to say I never became a classic pianist, right? Well, I I also took you know, piano lessons for I think a year or something, um, and I thought it was a, such a nice thing to do after school. I took the bus uh, from Kungsholmen to Östermalm. I went mm. and I went to buy a, a little Coca Cola and a sandwich at this uh, store. <laughs> I was like ten, so <laughs> that nice. was my uh, afternoon snack. And I went up yeah. to this piano teacher, and uh, I got to sit on his balcony and eat my snack. And then we went in to practice. And I had it's all very good up up until this point because I had no interest in music <laughs> whatsoever when I was ten. Like in playing music, I didn't understand. Like what well, I, I didn't find it fun. The songs were super boring. I think it's much better if you have like really uh, you know what you want to play because I had no yeah. idea. So that kind of just ran out in the sand. But I, I, I enjoy I treasure that memory though of sitting and drinking Coca Cola and eating a sandwich. <laughs> right, that was my first time like you know going by myself. From after school to do something, uh, I think that's yeah. that's a very uh, it's worth something. A little adventure, hit the other side of town, and you know, uh, get your own snack, and you know, kind of yeah. autonome for for a ten year old in a sense. Mm. Um, but with, with uh, I just have this notion. I mean, you listen to in a Garda de Vida, it's super excessive. It's uh, especially Doug Ingle on the on the keys on the on the organ. It's just all over the place. Uh, make you know, the, <laughs> Eric Brand is kind of plicktskildit. Uh, uh, how do you say? Uh, he's just playing the riff, you know, beautifully uh, as a as yeah, but as as a foundation for this excessive um, organ riffage. 
that just goes through all the, the whole song. Um, and I, I, I don't know, there was, uh, at that time, I felt like there's a lot of songs that are similar, that uh, you kind of feel that they want to have uh, an, an urgency and a, like... Um, uh, they want the cool thing to be the heavy organ that's just like going all over the place, and that 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 you have the foundation that the organ is kind of swapping things around over to make it interesting longer. Um, yeah, but I mean, it, it's kind of hard. It's almost hard. It's kind of hard to listen to most of this stuff nowadays. I feel. Um, <laughs> I remember also, especially when I was singing. Uh, we were seeing karaoke. I mean, okay, there's a lot of tangents here, but uh, anyway, uh, we went to pub anchor you and me and our friends quite a lot to sing yeah. uh, rock karaoke, uh, <laughs> where you had to say "tax on fun" after every song, or else you didn't get applause, or you right. didn't get uh, an okay from this uh, kind of. Uh, I don't like. I don't know if I like that dude really. Uh, it was the, a bit of shargong. Is that a word in English? You know, this kind of yeah. uh, worker. Working men's attitude, like you gotta say, talk some fun, you know. Thanks, thanks a hell or whatever. I don't, I didn't, never liked the MC, but uh, but we went there anyway. <laughs> I thought he was yeah. an idiot, actually. There were like uh, three of them, and one of them, I you know, I have friends that know these guys, and I know these guys, so I'm not gonna name them, but one of them I really didn't like, uh, one of them I do like, and uh, I mean, I, yeah. I, I kind of, uh, I'd, I'd be happy to run into him on the street, and then one was kind of neutral. But I uh, so I don't know who you refer to, and uh, we don't want to know. But <laughs> def- def- definitely, there were some attitude problems there, and it was at least rock karaoke uh, thematic. So you would stand on an actual stage where bands would mm. normally perform. It was not like a booth or a, you know like a secluded type thing. It was stage karaoke. Yeah, uh, but anyway, one of these days I, I, I was like I chose to sing "Hush" by the Purple, mm. and it's a great song. You know, "Hush, Hush." Thought I heard a call of my name now. Hush, hush. Uh, of course, that's with Rod Evans, who were late, later the singer of Captain Beyond. Anyway, yes. we'll get there. We'll get there in due time. And um, it ha- uh, what I didn't remember when I started singing was that it has a lengthy, I don't know, maybe 30-bar-long uh, <laughs> keyboard yeah. solo in the middle of the song. And it's not, ta- it's not edited uh, in the karaoke version. It's there. You yeah. have to kind of stand on stage and kind of do mimic, do do an air key uh, session, which is the silliest thing you can do. But I did it uh, for minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> four minutes or something. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think I ha- I just had the notion that for most bands they stripped away, they kind of streamlined their whole approach during during the seventies and even earlier. And maybe it's due to also, I'm thinking of Eric Clapton, that he didn't really want uh, someone else to outshine him. So, you know, like when the guitarist became the virtuosos, you don't need a virtuoso on keys. Um, Also, I'm thinking of uh, Allman Brothers that definitely toned down the whole uh, uh, keyboard aspect um, Mm. in their their band. Because they had two super guitarists, Duane Allman and Dickie Betts. And of course, I mean... Greg is super good on guitar and uh, organ, but I mean, he he just you know fills in. He plays the kind of a rhythm, rhythm keys instead. Yeah, in um, that sense, it's quite uh, it's quite remarkable that uh, Richie Blackmore, the super ego, could could share it with uh, John Lord all the way. Yeah, that, you know they wouldn't outshine each other, even though they would outshine pretty much everybody else in music in rock music. 
uh, that was a really strong kind of trade-off duo and they also harmonized together and everything yeah so the, the trick I, I felt i had to pull out for for these riffs uh because it's so like it's a mix between guitar and organ is to have the octaver on i think that gives it like you kind of get the more feeling of it right and yes. now it's without it's just more like the, it's on the record you know the the guitar is playing it's like very hard pan to the left and then you mm. have the the organ is all over the place. <laughs> and, um, but then you put on, turn on the Octaver. Ah. And I think that kind of makes sense also, you know, when you um, make a rendition of this riff. It sounds um, really fat, and it also gives this kind of uh, spooky vibe, you know, that fits the song. This kind of uh, yeah. Halloween, if you will, you know, like it's um, monsters dancing or something like that. Yeah, it's it has this. Uh, I think it's a, it's a bass octave, but it has this oscillating feel between the frequencies. Actually, I don't know the history of this um, this pedal or this uh, octave sound, but it gives what it does is that it it brings two uh, two uh, two uh, notes that are an octave apart, or you can yeah you know yeah it's I mean. a very very cool sound anyway. I, I always liked it, and I think it's one of the earlier uh, modulations of guitar. Like it was one of the earliest earliest stomp boxes out there because it's a fairly mm. simple um, mechanism. I would guess I'm not a mechanic or I'm not a you know, I don't work with, I don't make gears for music, but it's it's it was one of the first ones together with wah and fuzz. Yeah. And so it's it's really this classic. It, it kind of always works. The only hard thing is when to turn it off if you have it on for a song, because then it will be thin. Exactly. Um, I'm also kind of I don't know where I'm I'm putting it now. The first it's the first pedal in my chain. I think maybe it it kills the signal a little bit too much. So I, I will continue to uh, you know uh, experiment to put yeah. it uh, in in good places. I have mine first. Oh, yeah, too, but then maybe first is good. Yeah. <laughs> I became it's, it's so fun now with pedals instead of uh, using. Uh, computer software uh, VSTs yeah. to make the sounds I think it's just uh, way more uh, way more fun I still have this uh, uh, bit of of uh, distorted noise coming out of my fuss box but um, yeah that's just how life is and I think it's back in expected. the 60s they didn't care so much uh, no. it was just important to uh, to hear <laughs> to yeah. be, be loud um, yeah, it's so kind of fun, fun with that thing, you know, with the caring or not caring. Even like into the eighties, bands would just tune their guitars loud on stage, like you mm -hmm. would do back in the day, you know. <laughs> Even like Iron Maiden on on, on uh, Number of the Beast World Tour, they were still tuning. The transparency of a band has been maybe decreasing over t over time. Like uh, bands used to be way more transparent in you know, like things like tuning out loud or having noise coming out of the of the amp when it's not supposed to. To be there and things like that and i think in those times probably the crowd yeah. didn't really react to it either you know it's kind of like the more you clean it up uh the more sensitive you will be to dirt yeah exactly i mean um and also like 
how was the live sound you know before before they really understood like how to project uh, really loud rock music i mean this is partly due to uh, grateful dead who were playing live all the time and they really like and developed uh, uh, this kind of pre precursor to uh, these kind of uh, monitors that we have today i think we talked about it before uh, but like before that it must have sounded terrible on the on stage yeah. well, you couldn't hear probably, anything probably like small clubs could have sounded great you know yeah. pretty much like a rehear- band at rehearsal a great band at rehearsal things like this yeah. but bigger shows must have been really kind of hard to even hear all the instruments even get the whole uh, musical picture image into the PA. Oh, exactly. I, I'm, I have one thing that's kind of funny. They were booked to play at the Woodstock uh, in 1969, uh, but they had, but they were uh, had trouble getting there, and their manager was a bit, you know, like managers are, kind of um, overplaying his hand and kind of thinking they were bigger than they were. So he mm. uh, he telegrammed, telegraphed. How do you say it? telegraphed? Um, uh, the production coordinator at Woodstock and said, uh, hey, uh, can you pick us up in at LaGuardia Airport in a helicopter and fly us to the stage so we can go up and play uh, like at the, the best time and then we will fly off the stage? <laughs> like really <laughs> annoying. But then I'm going to read now because uh, John Morris, who was the production coordinator, he sent a telegram back and um, it goes like this. For reasons I can't go into, stop. Until you are here, stop. Clarifying your situation, stop. Knowing you are having problems, stop. You will have to find, stop. Other transportation, stop. Unless you plan not to come, stop. And the way a a telegram works is that after each stop, you see this first, uh, the letter. And if you spell out the first letters in every part of this telegram, it says, it reads, fuck you. So they didn't send anything. <laughs> I was so the, band, the band was standing at the airport, like, oh, where's the helicopter? <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me again of the Purple and California Jam 74. Great gig. Mm. There's also a great uh, Black Sabbath gig from that one when Tony Iommi looks like a, a travel agent. He has no mustache and like a, a oh, yeah. baby, blue, baby blue shirt. And on that show, uh, Richard Blackmore blew up his stack, and it was chaos. It, it kind of went overboard, even with his plans in mind. Like uh, the glasses of uh, drummer Ian Pace fell off, <laughs> and you know, you can really tell that okay, he didn't really bet on it being that big an explosion. And they also escaped like supervillains in a helicopter right after. <laughs> you know, uh, the rock was really cool in those days. <laughs> Escaping in a helicopter, like. <laughs> <laughs> after blowing up the stage alright uh, I think I'll, yeah. I'll just play uh, a little bit a little jam here I mean you can play along sure. if you want I'm uh, excited because my pick today fits really well with this one. Oh, and uh, do you remember? Like um, we talked before about us joining kind of the stoner rock resurgence 
uh, when we started playing together. And mm. uh, rather quickly, we got a little tired of the moniker, the, the genre name Stone Rock, and we kind of half invented this new rock genre. Do you remember what we <laughs> called it? Yeah, we called it Euphoric Rock. Euphoric rock, yeah. And I, I found this song that I think really fits into, ah, into wow. this uh, into this genre. So let's see if you recognize the riff. I have three riffs, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make it uh, simple by playing the most famous one first. All right. To your town, we'll help you party it down. We're an American band. Yeah, exactly. Grand Funk Railroad. And I like that previously in this episode, you said they are an American band about, <laughs> about yeah. uh, Aaron, Butterfly, Aaron Butterfly. And this, yeah, of course, is Grand Funk Railroad, uh, a very much American band hailing from Flint, Michigan, and yeah. also debuting in 1969 with their album On Time. So it's uh, I I when I heard it I was thinking instantly like this is this kind of Ulrich this kind of mm. euphoric fits the euphoric rock mold and uh, the second song out on this same album what is it called again something like don't look back or something like that I gotta check here stop looking back also mm. a really cool riff it's something like. Uh, <laughs> all these simple cool riffs and the third riff i'm just gonna do them all now and then get talking yeah yeah it's yeah, from, it's it's from the nice. first album it's uh, this kind of classic blues rocker cadence from a song called the heartbreaker so it's something like uh a nice kind of soulful groove to it yeah definitely hey uh grand funk railroad uh yeah i mean i mean i'm, I'm super familiar with uh we're an american band um but i'm actually not familiar with grand funk railroad i never you know started down that path sometimes you know like this is a rabbit hole you know i'm gonna get stuck and uh then you kind of uh, leave it off and at some point maybe you find it but maybe you don't and i think i haven't gone down this hole mm. yet so i i think i have to defer to you uh in yeah. this conversation <laughs> but i can for sure react on the fatness of the riffs um right. especially like how 
you know, like uh, it's so it's so around that time. Like it really fits. <laughs> Uh, yeah. It's not, nothing strange about it, you know. And uh, yeah, but uh, please go ahead. Yeah, like coincidentally, it's like Homer Simpson's favorite band too, right? So <laughs> a couple of oh, weeks back we had the South Park episode, and now it's the Simpsons episode because uh, he mentions them all the time, and it's kind of a fitting band for this uh, for this kind of uh, father character, right? This uh, Homer mm-hmm. Simpson character. But uh, I'm not gonna do a Simpsons special here. I, I did go down this rabbit hole. A friend of mine bought the first album on on vinyl, and we we kind of reacted to it like, wow, wow this is really good and it, mm. it's it's early too 69 and kind of really rocks i think it really can give led zeppelin a run for their money mm. yeah. and uh, also famously they are the only band that kind of got led zeppelin booed off stage once because they <laughs> rocked they rocked out so hard as the opening act <laughs> and yeah this band grand funk railroad they started out uh, with this there was this singer called terry knight who would later become the band's manager and uh, quite a, with quite some controversy surrounding it, like suing each other and, and all this uh, sad mm. stuff, really. Yeah, so you have, um, uh, of course, Terry Knight, and he played together with, uh, who would become the lead singer and lead guitar player of Grand Funk Railroad, uh, Mark Farner. Mm. Uh, this, uh, this dude, with uh, he's, he has a Cherokee ancestry on, on his maternal side, which gives him this really cool uh, step look, you know? <laughs> like, uh, he's even riding a horse in, in the, the video for this song. Oh, wow. uh, which kind of gives this man of war powerful vibe, right? Uh, an American mm. powerful rock band. And they're all riding around on their shoppers. And then he comes in with a from an iron horse to an actual horse as oh, well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, cool dude. And he played with uh, Terry Knight in, in some interesting bands called, uh, one band was called The Pack, 65 to 66. And then The Boss Men, <laughs> 1966. Oh, nice. uh, and then again, The Pack, parenthesis, The Fabulous Pack. <laughs> uh, b- before actually starting uh, Grand Funk Railroad together with a very important member in Don Brewer, the drummer of this band, and then uh, M- Mel Skacker as well on uh, on bass guitar. So that's kind of the the core trio on this album. Uh, we're an American band. They also brought in Craig Frost on keyboards. So here here they became this kind of power quartet. But uh, initially it's a power trio band and a really classic power trio. We addressed it before there. You know, it's a really powerful format, really, for rock music to have this tight-knit trio that can just go off and play off each other. And they don't have to, I don't think they have to count, you know, really. They can just feel it and, and play together. That's the, the vibe you get anyway from a band like this one. And uh, they had, uh, yeah, the, the incident with Led Zeppelin was an Atlanta music festival where they finally got to play a pretty good big gig. And famously, Terry Knight said that, um, you know, Led Zeppelin had this infamous manager, Peter Grant, mm-hmm. huge yes. guy, like ex-wrestler, 280 pounds or 140 kilos for us. <laughs> and then he was just, you know, kind of really, you know, this is a really threatening character. And he managed to pull the wages way up for his boys in Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And when, when Grand Funk played an opener, he, he uh, went to Terry Knight and told him, like, get the guys off stage. They can't play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> stop it and uh, after that he proceeded to lift him by the neck Darth mm-hmm. Vader style oh, said, I said immediately <laughs> <laughs> so he actually he actually got the band off stage and that was the precursor to Led Zeppelin being booed oh yeah yeah I, I did uh, hear of him lifting someone up like off the ground but okay I didn't <laughs> yeah. know this was a story nice oh, nice ter- terrible person yeah. this guy 
Mm. Yeah, I guess like a bit of a bad influence on the whole rock thing because he started that kind of overindulgence, you know, and uh, promoters were getting less and less and the bands were getting all the money, which could be good, but it could also be a little bit bad to have this kind of gangster tendencies. And I'm sure like Rod Smallwood in Maiden did similar things. And um, Sharon Osbourne in her own way, or her father, uh, the Don. You know, there's a lot of these power people, you know, behind the scenes power yeah. people that kind of, uh, you know, almost promote warf- warfare in a sense. Rock and roll warfare, <laughs> I would yeah. call that. And uh, I think Grand Funk, they somehow fell in between the, in between the, the, the planks, if you will, like uh, in mm. between the shares and got lost a little bit. And they started fighting with Terry Knight. Because he was, he became the manager, and he he managed to get all the money. Uh, so the band was really poor and uh, struggling, and they've released a lot of albums. I'm mostly familiar with the first one, On Time, and then uh, we're an American band because the, that's mm. the ones I have here um, and listen to on my vinyl. But uh, they released a ton of albums, funny titles like uh, uh, 1966, Good Singing, Good Playing. <laughs> I like that title. <laughs> <laughs> like, that describes the contents of that. Yeah. And, uh, Shining On from 74. All the Girls in the World Beware from 74. <laughs> Funny title. But uh, the actual name of the band is inspired by this uh, railroad uh, bridge that passes over Flint, Michigan, that says uh, Grand Trunk Railroad. Oh, okay. Uh, it's been also been defaced by someone, so now it says Grand Funk Railroad. And it's <laughs> never been refaced. You know? Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's kind of like a cultural treasure for this town. Mm. Hometown of uh, documentary maker, movie maker Michael Moore as well. Mm. And yeah, he's obviously uh, a big fan of, of this band. Okay. I mean, Flint, Michigan is this kind of... Um, <laughs> it's kind of this navel of uh, the US. Or the asshole, maybe. I mean, they're, they're doing yeah. really bad. They're treated as, you know, the, the worst part of... Uh, they're not treated very well. I mean, there's fracking going on, and there is... Um, uh, the, I think the water supply. I mean, that's what... Uh, what Michael Moore has been working on, uh, working for a lot, is like the the water is still bad. There's since some um, some issues that the former mayor kind of rerouted the water, uh, and now the water is you can't drink it. You know, like and that's twenty years or something. Um, yeah, and there is really like a, a poor, you know, the worker. I mean, can you can see a band like Grand Funk Railroad coming from there? You know, still being maybe an industry town, uh, Detroit Motor City. You know, like that's pretty close by, mm. and um, then you have you know like uh, and it's always like I was um, a couple of years ago. I went to um, a town in uh, the Ruhrgebiet, the Ruhr Ruhr area of Germany in Western Germany, right. close to the SM. border here. Essen. There was not Essen. You have Essen and Düsseldorf, which are kind of well-to-do towns. Have uh, really nice art museums, and uh, you know, like people are doing great there. They work in uh, advertising. And then you have cities like um, uh, Gelsenkirchen, where we went. I went to do an art show there, and uh, we we stayed at uh, at the hostel where two German grandmas were cooking. Uh, for us or cooking with uh, you know uh, quote unquote cook, cooking uh, I remember there was um, they, they really enjoyed making fries with, uh, with wurst you know like uh, this kind of stuff right. or blood everything that had to do with sausage they did really good 
Um, but then there was two vegans uh, uh, joining and they said, now we can't eat sausage. And the German grandmas looked at them like, uh, warum können sie nicht uh, Wurst uh, essen? It's the, it's the best thing in the world. They were right. like, no, we, we don't eat meat. Oh, you don't eat meat. Okay, what do you eat? No, but, uh, you know, uh, vegetables. Okay, th then we know. And <laughs> for breakfast yeah. next morning, they got uh, bell pepper, paprika, uh, with uh, pepper on it. <laughs> so right. breakfast. Uh, okay, it's, it's a slightly culinary better, treat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, you can tell that Denmark and, and, and Germany are neighbors because they have a shared <laughs> love for sausages, beer, and uh, porn. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't complaining. Uh, so, yeah. uh, in Gelsenkirchen, short story, it's a failed coal mining town. They, uh, in the area, they decided uh, a couple of decades ago that they shouldn't do any more mining for coal. They, should, they would clear the skies over uh, Ruhr. And uh, they did, and then, like, there was nothing left for pe people to do, so people moved out. And a lot of um, immigrants moved in, and you know they they have, there's nothing to do there, so it's kind of mm. uh, in not such a bad a good state. Yeah, uh, but I just feel it's very similar to Flint, Michigan, and I, but I can also see like a band coming out of there, kind of uh, uh, you know reacting against that. But I can also imagine that in the 70s, Flint was doing a bit better. You know, there was still uh, a big industry, and uh, you know there was no climate. Uh, climate uh, change or no ideas about the climate going anywhere bad you know uh, there was not none of that at that point yeah um so i mean so, maybe it's just working class band okay it was very long tangent. no but it's, it's interesting i like it and you kind of paint the picture that uh, helped me paint it because you have this uh like kind of struggling from below type band they were booked also for this tour or this, uh, some kind of uh, sessions and they were booked and they were supposed to let's warm up in this cabin but it turned out to be like pretty much the absolute opposite of warming up because the cabin cabin didn't have proper heating it was snow okay. outside and there were no telephones and they didn't get any contact so they were just put in this cottage freezing <laughs> freezing you know <laughs> to the bones and not having any food and just waiting for the gigs that never happened so you, know, you can really feel that it's a kind of poor man's band in, in, in the start there. And you have like Melskacker, Mel it's spelled Schacher or something like that. So that could be a descendant yeah. from the Ruhr area. It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, um, The exactly. bass player. And um, it has, yeah, definitely a working man type, type sound. And with these simple, effective riffs, it really gets you going. I think it, it's a recipe yeah. for, uh, for a great success, really. <laughs> Yeah, great riff, and that one is like, proper minor. But then in, in the ver in the chorus, they do the trick, which is stacking major chords over and over. It's like that. Muscular sound, I think, also like mm. this <laughs> muscular rock sound, but still with this euphoric touch that you can dance to it. And people's music, I would say, is not very yeah. highbrow. 
Yeah, we we uh, when we started playing, we played a version of this uh, riff. Where I brought it in the the, the right. famous riff stealer Mike Emot from Spiritual Beggars and adapted this riff into his own song called Tall Tales from the 2001-2002 On Fire album by Spiritual Beggars. And uh, well, I mean, it's 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 this that album is full of uh, riff steals, but that's maybe it's the most obvious one. Um, yeah. I don't know really how he lives with himself. <laughs> I don't know weird, either. I don't know a, either. And it, a they, lot of he, he, he even made you know a, a, a song from the. Yeah, you know the killing yourself uh, to live. Killing yourself to live. <laughs> he stole that one. Made a song. Extreme theft. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I was talking about this yesterday with uh, uh, my good friend Christian. He's a lawyer because I was talking about rock law. <laughs> it was, it's rock kind of central. Law. It's kind of central in, in in Grand Funk because they had so many troubles. First with with Knight, the the former manager at the time, who was just suing their asses off. And he said himself in an interview, like, I know how it is. In the, you know what people say, it's it's uh, it's Terry Knight wearing the black hat. But I don't care because I'm wearing the black hat straight to the bank. <laughs> what an asshole! So if it's a, the black hat is him being an asshole, being you know, yeah. taking advantage of people. Okay. Yeah, it reminds me of another Gothenburgian as well, uh, Tom Englund from Evergrey, who mm-hmm. said like, "Yeah, people complain about us selling out, but they're driving these shitty cars, and I'm driving the latest Volvo." <laughs> <laughs> I sold out yeah. before you even heard of me. Yeah. Money, money and rock, I guess, you know, it's sometimes a really weird combination. And definitely with this band who had kind of start over and over. And, and every time they started again, there was this grassroots movement. People still loved the band. So they knew that they had, they really had something. Uh, but a struggling band for sure. And you can see even today that these guys are addressing the fact that they were not even far from uh, suicide at this point, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it was that bad. Like they, they couldn't... Um, couldn't feed their families and uh, their whole heritage what they worked on was being kind of destroyed or at least drained from any resources so it's, it's this kind of sorrowful band history in a sense yeah uh, with grand funk railroad but i guess today today when you put it on it's still euphoric rock definitely yeah and uh, always a good mood like how this song kicks off with the cowbell and then that that heavy ass riff and, you know, it's just very much towards what we were trying to do uh, with what we tried to call euphoric rock, mm. uh, which was possibly like secondhand imported from guys like Mike Amott. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean the, and then um, I, I guess the soloing is also quite straight to the point, right? Going for those uh, easy wins, you know, like yes. going for the, the tonic all the time, like really like, mm, you know, like uh, uh, kind of... Uh, I don't know, how would it be? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's really what it does. Uh, these power, power moves uh, that are maybe not too composed at all. It's just... Uh, providing the energy and um, he's a good keyboard player as well this kind of multi-instrumentalist i think he even started as a bass player in the outfit because they didn't have one at first Mm. and then kind of slowly moved to where he belonged which was you know front and center lead guitar lead vocals 
Yeah. Could you play the second riff that you brought also? Uh, sorry, now I... Yeah. There. That's really... The, the hook there is those triplets. Also with the stacking of major-type chordage. That yeah. brings this vibe, and also again with my favorite mode, the, the Dorian mode. Yeah, it it just rocks. <laughs> it's, it's it's a simple way to describe this band. It's just a rocking band, an American rocking band. Yeah, um, but as you say, I mean, they, they also came out like Iron Butterfly. You know, kind of um, tough time to be a band that is not, you know, the best band. That you're you're eclipsed by uh, your fellow. Fellows like uh, Led Zeppelin because they kind of uh, you know really go extreme and they they happen to have the most extreme manager uh, and you know Pete like Grant. but also maybe makes slightly better more way better I, I I don't know it depends on the day but I mean really uh, ba real bangers you know like American band sure, sure it's a ba it's a banger but it's, it's more on the like. Uh, uh pub circuits uh, or you know beer yeah. <laughs> the beer circuits you know it's not the the stadium even though i i'm sure they played stadiums but it's not like it's not really a band that you dream of you might, i think that zeppelin and black sabbath you kind of dream of them you know they're mm -hmm. so they're so larger than life uh, while american band <laughs> they could be <laughs> called that they are more you know they're like you and me just like uh doing the god's honest uh rock work you know like just uh, pretty much that's probably yeah. why michael moore is such a fan too like it's a, like the kind of band like you and me and mm. uh, when i heard this thing about uh, having them having led zeppelin booed off stage not booed off stage but booed anyway in atlanta i i immediately said that i prefer grand funk and then this drummer that told me it was like really do you prefer grand funk over over led zeppelin and i said <laughs> okay yeah i actually i don't <laughs> so you sometimes you want to be this contrarian i guess and just yeah. bring out the underdog, but you know, Led Zeppelin mm. is a better band. I, that's just kind of a fact, I guess. Uh, but mm. Mm. I want to celebrate this uh, this underdog of a band by by bringing some of their fat riffs into here. Uh, I think they are definitely worth it. But I mean, you know, like if, if we maybe do a comparison, let's see. Wait, I'm gonna do this statue. <laughs> so far from Grand Funk Railroad. You know, they're kind of similar, Led Zeppelin, when they go for these, uh, these chunky riffs, I feel. Yeah, yeah Led Zeppelin uh, is, an, is a British band, but they definitely sound like an American band. Definitely. I mean, I mean yeah, definitely. I mean, maybe we can return to... I think, I think they have some fucking good riffs, and this is one of them from Moby Dick, and I was thinking maybe I should feature this one, but it's a bit early to bring back Led Zeppelin, I think. I think, I think there's... A lot of things I want to say about them, but um, it, it needs a, a brand new episode again. Um, but I'm just like, which riff? It could be a special, because they have enough material for that. Yeah, 
Yeah, but this this riff, of course, uh, I adapted to <laughs> to our our song. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember Lucky Seven? Uh, that, that was another Grand Funk yeah, yeah, style yeah. riff yeah. that you made. Yeah, it was really more of a like uh, Leonard Skinner rip off. <laughs> det var ganska kul. Ja. Sista biten var klippt bara den sista och så. Ja, whatever. Ja, yeah, but I mean definitely there's there's room to do a, a special on Led Zeppelin I think with with all the riffage in there and uh, like with mm. our backgrounds with, with this type of uh, I guess basic power grooves you could call them. Uh, yeah. In our in our recollection episode I call a riff a combination of a melody and a beat and uh, that's really mm. kind of where we're at with these. Uh, yeah. powerhouse trios i mean led zeppelin is not a trio but uh, instrumentally they are and uh, you you kind of have to really have powerful riffs in order for mm. that to work and all these bands are obviously inspired by yardbirds and cream and uh, predecessors like this so yeah uh, fat american rock riffs why mm. not oh definitely and i guess on that note uh, we are in a second season now i have a short list of 14 songs <laughs> i want to bring in 14 riffs So that's great. But I also want you, dear listener, to to chime in. You know, uh, maybe you have a little bit of a clue of what we're doing by now. And you could contact us either gainforriffs at gmail.com or DM us on gainforriffs on Instagram or find another way to reach us and uh, and come in with suggestions on what you want us to riff on and and, and talk about in this coming season. Exactly. Um, Hey, thanks, dear listener, for uh, standing by us yet another week. It's always fun uh, thinking about you listening to our voices. Um, See you next week. Yeah, that's it. See you next week. Do get in contact. And again, tell friends. I'm sure you have a friend or two or a cousin or a brother or a sister that might want to listen to one or two of our shows. Signing out. Bye-bye. Bye-bye-bye. Gain it for riffs. Gain it for riffs.